Well, this morning you see three different passages um, listed there, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's all the same event. I'd like to read this event from each passage. In a sense, Matthew, we could say, is the text, but all three, all three are the text this morning. So I'd like to begin reading from Mark 10, Mark 10, this event of people bringing their children to Jesus, and then we'll turn over to Luke chapter 18 for just a couple of verses, and then back to Matthew chapter 19. So Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. This, beloved, is indeed the Word of God. Mark 10, verse 13, and they were bringing children to Him that He might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, let the, little ch- let the children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And He took them in His arms and blessed them laying His hands on them. Then Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Now they were bringing even infants to Him that He might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to Him, saying, Let the children come to Me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Then back to to Matthew chapter 19, and allow me just to read the first couple of verses of verse 18 as well, as it also um, uh, informs our context this morning. Matthew 18, the first few verses. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to Him a child, He put Him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then in chapter 19, beginning at verse 13, Matthew's account of what we just read from Mark and Luke, beginning at verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Beloved, may God indeed bless the reading and the consideration of His Word to us this morning. We do, beloved, come to a text like this, and and from the very outset, we know that it has an important place. And not simply because it's in the holy, inspired Word of God. That all by itself is sufficient. But we also, I would suggest, know that it has an important place because all three of the synoptic gospel writers, boys and girls, young people, the, synop- the synoptic gospel writers are Matthew, Mark, and Luke called that because they all take the life and the events of Jesus and they record virtually the same event as we have in, in our passage here, our passages, and they often order them in the, the exact same order as well. All three of the synoptic gospel writers then, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, include this particular event. Now, it would be easy 
just to consider any one of these three, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and and what they say here. Again, it's virtually the same. We could consider this brief portion by itself, and we can learn so much from it. But you see, it's also illumined even more because of the context. For example, all three of the writers give this event after addressing those who were alone in some way. Matthew and Mark, for instance, they record this after giving the discourse about divorce, one who was alone. Luke records it after talking about the persistent widow and her praying, again, one who was alone. And those passages have their own uh, value and worth, as it were, something to teach to us, but they inform the context. Luke also records this following the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Again, not necessarily someone who was alone, but yet someone who was despised. And the point, you see, with regard to the context is that children were included or are included here with those who were alone, those who were despised like the tax collector, those who were considered in society to be without worth, without value, those who were largely ignored, those who were considered by society to be simply unimportant. But the context, again for all three, also includes a contrast. All three of the gospel writers record this event. They follow up this particular text with talking about the rich young man or the rich young ruler who came to Jesus asking Jesus what it is that he must do in order to be saved. And that plus the beginning of Matthew 18, and that's why I wanted to read that, with a child Jesus settles a dispute among the disciples with regard to who was the greatest. So that's the context. Those who were alone, those who were despised, those who thought that they were able to do something in order to earn salvation. Now, we're not really told anywhere why the parents brought their children to Jesus. Yes, the text says to lay His hands on them, to pray for them, to bless them. Yet beyond that, we don't really know what benefit these parents hoped to gain for their children by bringing them to Jesus. We do know that those who were generally brought to Jesus were people who were sick, those who needed demons cast out of them, those who needed help, those who needed healing in some sort of way. These children, we have every reason to believe, were healthy and fine. Now, Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary may be helpful. Again, it's it's simply speculation, but it's interesting, and I think it might be helpful. It's a bit of a lengthy quote. He says, In the ancient world, childhood was not for sissies. They, that is children, had a dangerous time of it. It is estimated that only 50% of children live past age 10. Now, before I go on, boys and girls, some of you probably at 9, 10 years old, you're you're learning uh, a division already, you're learning fractions, and, and you can do the math here. If you're 9 or 10 years old and you have a close friend who's 9 or 10 years old, what this is saying is back in that day, one of you most likely would not turn 11. 
And then Davis quotes another theologian who did some sort of a study or, or investigated some sort of a study, and Davis says that if that theologian is right, that six out of every ten children died before the age of 16, then one might surmise that a number of the parents who brought infants to Jesus might well lose them in their first year or so. Perhaps that mixed some urgency into their coming. Such mortality was not simply an Israelite problem. It has been estimated that in Rome, for example, 30% of all babies died within their first year. Only 49% of children lived to their fifth birthday. And only 40% of the population lived to the age of 20. And then Davis ends this portion of the quote, childhood was more desperate than cute. Maybe that was part of the urgency for these parents. And again, beloved, even though the context is talking about those who are alone, those who are despised, we're only going to talk about children for a few moments. Indeed, again, those who were despised by many. But we are to understand this morning that children have an important place. They had and they have an important place in the heart of Jesus. Children have an important place in His church and in His kingdom and from the earliest age. And so much more than a church simply having the right programs. I'm going to come back to that toward the end. But a church can have a plethora of programs. It can have a multitude of programs. But having all those programs, you see, can mean absolutely nothing because even with all kinds of programs... Children, young people, others can still be ignored. They can still be overlooked. And all kinds of programs can simply miss the point of Jesus here. There is application here for children. There's application here for adults. And there's application here when it comes to the call of the church with regard to the seed of believers. So, beloved, let the children come to Jesus. Or I could have given it the title, Jesus has time for children, or Jesus has a heart for children. But let the children come to Jesus. And we see here, desired by parents, denied by Jesus' disciples in the second place, but declared by Jesus Himself. Let the children come to Jesus, first of all, desired by parents for whom it was indeed important to bring their children. Again, we don't know exactly why, as we've already said, but again, the three gospel writers, or the three writers of these gospels, that they, they, they tell us by, by including it that it was important. And at the very outset, that's the question for you and me. Is it important for us? Is it important for us as parents and as grandparents? Is it important for us as a church community to bring our children to Jesus? Is that the most important thing for you and me? Is that a first priority to us as Christian parents and as a Christian church? It was desired by these parents here in our text for whom indeed it was important to bring their children who could not come on their own. At least some of them. 
Maybe you notice Luke makes it clear that the children, at least a portion of the children that were brought, were infants, those who were probably too young to even walk, and therefore they were totally dependent on their parents for everything. They were totally dependent on their parents to even live. So bring them early. It was important for these parents to have Jesus touch them, to pray for them, to bless them. No doubt these parents had witnessed already the healing power of Jesus. He had healed many by this time. No doubt they had witnessed the healing power of Jesus along with hearing Him, hearing the power of His Word preached. And even if they still did not know, which they didn't, even if they still did not know His true identity, they desired His blessing upon their children from this holy man of God. It was important and desired by these parents and who understood and, and for godly parents today who still understand the importance of the Christian faith, who understand that there's absolutely nothing more important than this. You know, I don't have to tell you this, we live in a culture uh, today where there's a, there's a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of confusion with regard to identity there's nothing more important than to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. There's absolutely no hope apart from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, even though these parents didn't, did not have the clarity, at least I don't believe they did, they did not have the clarity that we have today, yet by bringing their children to Jesus, that was a testimony to their respect For Jesus, it was a testimony of the importance for them, of their children, to have this opportunity, even though in the second place it was denied by Jesus' disciples. Did you notice that? That as we read all three of these accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all said the same thing. Each and every one of them said that the disciples rebuked the parents, they treated them harshly. The idea includes imposing a penalty. Now, we don't know what kind of a penalty that might have been, but imposing a penalty upon them. But but, but very simply, they didn't treat these parents and these children well. Maybe standing in their way, maybe forming some sort of a wall before Jesus, maybe shoving them back, certainly embarrassing them, shooing them away, get away. And whereas the parents, again, without knowing fully their motivation, They had the proper motivation. The disciples acted sinfully with them too. We we don't know. We don't know for sure what motive that they had. Some want to give them the benefit of the doubt and suggest that, well, they were simply trying to protect Jesus. You know, kind of like a VIP today, a very important person, maybe a professional athlete or musician or, or someone high up in politics who who goes around with their entourage of bodyguards. But a VIP, someone who is, is recognized everywhere and simply can't go anywhere without someone wanting an autograph or wanting a selfie or wanting something that they think that this VIP has to offer to them, or simply wanting to impose themselves on this VIP, maybe just to have bragging rights. Well, guess who I met? Guess whose hand I shook? Oh, and I have the selfie to prove it. Jesus was becoming more and more well-known 
with the needy being brought to Him in great numbers. So maybe it's true. Maybe they simply wanted to protect Jesus from being tired out. But certainly, it seems clear that to the disciples, he had, he had much more important work than taking time for this children nonsense. I mean, after all, especially the infants, they're never going to remember him. Just like many of us who were baptized as infants and our children who were baptized as infants, we don't remember when that water was sprinkled on our head. Jonathan doesn't even remember it. He doesn't even remember how cold it was. And it was a little bit cold. We, these children were never going to remember him. And therefore, these disciples, you see, they were really sending a message. They were sending the message that these children were unworthy. They were unworthy of the time and the attention of Jesus. I mean, after all, what place could they possibly have and how could they possibly benefit the kingdom and the ministry of Jesus? But interestingly and sadly, at this point yet, this was the character of the disciples. If we go back to Matthew chapter 14, uh, the, the, Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. Verse 15 there, we read, Now when it was evening, the disciples came to Him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Send away those who are a nuisance to and are an inconvenience for us. I mean, after all, to the disciples, Jesus didn't have time for insignificant details. He didn't have time for insignificant people. They had not yet made the connection of Jesus with the very words He spoke in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus said. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then he goes on to talk about the grandeur, the beauty of the lilies of the field, and also after that, the grass. The disciples of our Lord did not yet realize that all of life, young and old alike, and the tiniest details of life, it's all important to Jesus. And in fact, we see here in the third place, it was declared by Jesus, beginning again at verse 14. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. It was declared by Jesus really against the disciples. And uh, notice too, maybe you noticed when we read Mark's account in Mark chapter 10, verse 14, Mark gives us a glimpse into the emotion of Jesus. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was filled with grief and anguish. No doubt over what the disciples were doing, but possibly even over their lack of understanding because they should have known better. Again, Jesus had warned them about the importance of both children and insignificant believers. Going back to Matthew 18, beginning at verse 2, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children... 
You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And then Mark also says almost the same thing in the next verse. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. Jesus had already warned them about the importance of children and insignificant believers. Remember the widow's might, the widow's pennies. In essence, Jesus saying she put more into the offering plate than those who were filthy rich. Jesus declared, don't stand in their way. Don't hinder them. Don't discourage them. Why? Because of their important place in the kingdom. Verse 14, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Or as it's also said, to such as these. To them. It belongs to them. Again, an amazing declaration. And we know that when we're talking about the kingdom of God and as we pray, Thy kingdom come, we're talking about the rule of God in one's heart and life together with all of the blessings that result from this rule. And Jesus is teaching that it's not for those who think that they are worthy. It's not for those who think that they can earn or secure the salvation on their own. Daniel Doriani in his commentary on Matthew, he, he brings in the context uh, in Matthew. And he points out, he says, the kingdom is not, going back to Matthew 18, 21 to 35, where we find the parable of the, of the unforgiving servant. He says, the kingdom is not for those who gobble up the offer of God's forgiveness, but refuse to forgive others. He goes on, it is not, pointing to Matthew 19, before this and that discourse on divorce, it is not for the Pharisees who come to Jesus asking, what is the least I can do and still be considered a good man? He says, it is not, then pointing to the portion right after this with the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, he said, it is not for the proud ruler who comes to Jesus swearing he has kept all the commandments, but then refuses to follow Jesus. But to such as these, to such, including children, those who have a childlike faith and trust that's not hindered by outside influence. And most of all, this points to true believers who know that they have nothing, absolutely nothing to bring to Jesus, but they are totally dependent upon Him and have everything to receive from Him. It includes children and especially of believers. That's not to say, that's not to say that children of believers who are baptized automatically enter into the kingdom in the sense that they are saved. That's not what we're saying. But they are not to be overlooked. They are not to be treated, as William Hendrickson says, as a little heathen, or as I've heard some say, a little reprobates living outside the realm of salvation until by an act of their own they join the church. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14, again, remember, the inspired Word of God. Paul tells us of the important place of children in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14, he says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband, 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it are, as it is, they are holy. Again, talking about being set apart, but it's, it's fascinating what Paul says. The unbelieving husband or spouse is set apart because of the faith of the believing spouse. And their children of one believing spouse is considered to be holy or set apart. Set apart by God. Jesus is teaching here and confirming for us that children of believers are in the kingdom, they are in the church, visibly speaking, by virtue of their believing parents. By virtue of the godly family in which they have been placed. And therefore, they enjoy, they are to enjoy the blessings of the covenant that the parents, the believing parents, and the church community is called to teach them. Indeed, there's an indirect tie to baptism here, and I say indirect because our Lord Jesus had not yet given the command to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, William Hendrickson in the last century, he he saw that tie. Going back even further, Matthew Henry saw that tie. Even further than that, John Calvin made that connection. One who lived between Matthew Henry and Hendrickson, J.C. Ryle, he goes all the way back in church history studying the early church, pointing, seeing the fact there that even the disciples in the early church, they saw Jesus as making this connection that, 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 that children of believers are to be given the visible sign of the covenant even as children of believers in the Old Testament. Through the eight-day-old sons were given the Old Testament sign of the covenant circumcision. The sign of baptism, beloved, points as a word of the hand of Jesus, or we could say that the hand of Jesus in this text points forward to the sign of baptism with the very promise of God given that whoever embraces Jesus Christ by faith, they are a part of His forever kingdom with their sin completely washed away, forgiven of every last one of them. Children are to be taught from the beginning and continually, as one writer says, of God's earnest and challenging invitation from Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart. And that is then to be answered. Boys and girls, young people, you who have been blessed to receive that sign of baptism, that blessed promise those who are being taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to respond. You have a responsibility to believe on, you're called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to entrust your life to Him, and to respond as the hymn beautifully says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my will and make it Thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is Thine own. It shall be Thy royal throne. Beloved, let them come. Do not hinder them. Don't stand in their way. In other words, bring the children to Jesus. As parents, 
And even as grandparents, as we have the opportunity, we are to do all in our power to bring them to the point of receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their life. Yes, we depend completely. They depend completely. It depends completely on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have a task. We have a calling to bring them insofar as God used us to the point of receiving our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what believing parents promise to do in baptism with the promise and the help of the church community. And beloved, that's the mission, isn't it, that we have? What, if I were to ask you, what is the mission of the Escondido United Reformed Church? I trust that, that you would say, well, it's the mission of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking now about having some sort of a flowery, well-worded mission statement. The Apostle Paul tells us the mission of the church in, in three words in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, when he says, Him we proclaim. The Lord Jesus Christ, Him we proclaim. I think it was Dr. Alistair Begg I heard say one time when talking about studying Scripture, and when we come to the, 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 the difficult parts that aren't as clear as other portions, he says, the main thing is the plain thing, and the plain thing is the main thing. When it comes to the mission of the church, the main thing, the plain thing, is Him we proclaim. That's it. From beginning to end, to proclaim the Lord Jesus. And our children are to be taught, as John Calvin says, that Christ receives not only those who, moved by holy desire and faith, and indeed moved by the Holy Spirit, freely approach to Him, but those who are not yet of age. They are to be taught that those who are not yet of age are to know how much they need His grace. Let me come back to church programs, as I mentioned, and particularly youth programs for our young people, for our our children, our boys and girls, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. They have their place, Sunday school, catechism, gems, cadets, youth, whatever, VBS, youth programs, they have their place. But we need to understand and we need to, to remember that having all kinds of programs does not automatically mean a church is spiritually alive and vibrant. Maybe you've heard it said, I've heard it said by some who were looking elsewhere, well, that church is so alive, they have so much to offer for our kids. Well, that's wonderful doesn't mean that that church is, is alive. It might make a church look alive, visibly speaking. But programs are not of first priority. Because even with a multitude of programs, children, young people, and others can easily be ignored. And the very same programs can have the potential to stand into the way of bringing our youth to Jesus if they are not properly founded on the gospel and worship and preaching of the Word of God. All the programs in the world would be absolutely meaningless if they do not bring our children to the Lord Jesus. Again, I'm so grateful to be able to say from my time here many years ago and, and what I know still exists today that by God's grace, this church is faithful. And I praise God for that. I praise God for you, especially having grandchildren growing up here. That's such a blessing. The church community, beloved, is to notice and to pay attention to and to engage with children of all ages. The oldest one among us 
is to, be, to engage with and be involved in the life of the youngest among us insofar as you have opportunity. We are called to be involved in their lives. We are called to bring them again and again and again to Jesus through our words, through our actions, through our, through our example. Make no mistake about it, children know what you and I think about them. They know how you and I feel about them. And again, children and young people, you again are to look for and you are to notice and you are to follow the examples of those who imitate, like Paul, who imitate Jesus Christ. And you are called to engage into the life of the church. And especially in worship, that's not negotiable where you are to see Jesus by faith. We know that the first few years are the most formative for a young child, and it's never too early to have them participate in in worship. Beloved, there was nothing magical in Jesus' touch here. At least we're not told that that's what this was all about. But I imagine what a blessing for at least some of these parents that after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, they were able to tell their children, He, the very one who was crucified, this one who died for sin, this one who rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, He touched you. He prayed for you. He blessed you. Our children don't need the most expensive possessions. They don't need the best education money can buy. They don't need the opportunities of many extracurricular activities. They don't need the the things and the opportunities that the world says are important. They need Jesus. They need their souls cared for. We must never forget that from the moment of conception... They have a soul that will live forever. And parents in the church are not to stand in their way or hinder them by depriving them of worship and depriving them of Scripture reading and instruction in the home and and in school. And we are not to hinder them by neglecting their spiritual lives. We are not to stand into their way by making the things and the activities of this world like sports and music and hobbies more important than a relationship with Jesus Nurtured by faithful worship and godly instruction. All those things have their place. All those things are good in and of themselves. But dangerously, sometimes they're standing in the way of bringing our children to Jesus. Our call is so very easy, beloved. We are not to want our Lord Jesus Christ to be indignant with us. There's only one who can reach the heart of a child and a childlike heart. And that is Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit. So, beloved, let them come. Bring them to Jesus. Tell them what their baptism means, that God made them a -a one-of-a-kind, amazing promise that if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, all of their sins are washed away and they are saved and they have an eternal home. And show them what our baptism means to us. Show them what our relationship with the Lord Jesus means to us. Introduce them to the one apart from whom there is no hope, but because of whom there is eternal hope, there is eternal life 
for all, only those, but all those who come to Him in humble faith, not trying to give Him something of a value, but coming, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to Thy cross I cling, naked come to Thee for dress, helpless look to Thee for grace. Coming to receive all that He has secured and all that He has to give to His people. Beloved, let them come. Let's pray. Lord God, our faithful Father, we give You thanks for the truth and the blessing of Your Word and the reminder that that we need to have again and again and again because so often we must confess, Father, that our gaze gets pulled away from our Lord Jesus. It gets pulled toward the things of this world. And even when it comes to our children, Indeed, we we care for them as you have called us to do, physically speaking. But sometimes we, we act as if we want to keep up with the neighbors and all these kinds of things, and we put to the back burner the things that are truly important. Father, let us not do that, but when we do, we pray that you convict us of our sin in these things. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of family, for the gift of children. We pray, Lord, that you would work through those of us who are parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and those of us who are older in the congregation to be used of you that our children and young people here in this place might know just how special they are to us, that they have a place, that this Christ church is their church too, and that they truly belong. Father, we thank you for all of these blessings. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.